who were fighting in the battle of Iwo Jima did not understand why it was important to take Iwo Jima. They just knew they were giving a lot of manpower. They were losing a lot of lives. They had a lot of, of equipment and a lot of activity just to take this little rock out in the middle of the ocean. They didn't understand that they needed that island because of the plan to bring the atomic bomb. They were having issues with some of the planes and they didn't want to get out in the middle of the ocean and not have a place to detour if they needed to. They were also being attacked at different times on some of their planes and they did not want to be in a place that they didn't have somewhere to be able to escape to. So they needed Iwo Jima in a way that nobody who was fighting on the ground understood. But the people who were in the decision-making positions, they understood we've got to have that little rock. And as Brother Keith was explaining this documentary, he said it and he repeated it. He said they didn't know why that little rock was strategic. They didn't understand why that little rock was strategic. And the third time he said that little rock is strategic, the Holy Spirit came in the car with me. In a, in a way that was so, so manifested in my life that I can still to this day remember how he, it was like the Holy Spirit was in the car speaking with Keith Moore saying, little rock is strategic. And all the questions left, all the questions of, Lord, why are you telling us to start a church in Little Rock when we have a church in Kansas and you're not telling us to leave the church in Kansas. You're telling us to maintain the directorship of it as well as establish a work here. It all left. I understood right then. I don't need to know why this little rock is strategic. I just need to be obedient on the ground. Boots on the ground, obedience, right? And bring my best to, to what God wants to do in this city of Little Rock. And so that, that's unity with the vision. I don't have to have God explain to me all the reasons. I don't have to have him give me all of the backstory. As long as you tell me that what, this is what I need to do and that it, it, it's strategic for what you... I'm here. I want to do what you've called us to do in this area. And so that's, that's unity. That's agreement. And when we agree with the vision... When we connect with the vision, the vision is where the anointing is provided. Because when the mighty men first joined themselves to David in the cave of Dullam, they weren't mighty men. They were in debt. They were distressed. They were tore up from the floor up. They did not have anything to offer David except their strength. And they brought their their condition the way that they were and they joined themselves but the bible says they became mighty as they helped him fulfill the vision as they helped him to become king that was the assignment on david's life and the same anointing that david had in defeating the lion the tiger and no not the tiger right the lion and the bear the same anointing that he operated to defeat Goliath became evident in the lives of the people who had joined themselves to him. 
we see, we see Shama out in the middle of a field, right? Fighting for his patch of, of peas. We see, we see different ones who just in their daily bringing their effort to what God had called David to do, now they become participants in the anointing that was for the vision. So that's what we see in Psalm 133. That as we connect to the vision, as we get in agreement, there's a unity. And in that unity, there's a flow of the anointing. And as that anointing flows, we experience it in our own personal lives as well. At the same time as we fulfill the plan of God. I, I need to uh, bring us over into a place specific of uh, agreement with God. And understanding why it is important to develop our faith. Why it is important to renew our mind. We've talked about a few different elements in this series already. We've talked a, a few different times about the importance of bringing my mind to a place that the Bible calls a renewing of the mind. Or, or uh, that Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23 refers to uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind or you could say until your mind becomes spiritual or until your mind is under the governing power of your born again spirit, right? So we want the word of God to govern our thinking so that when God speaks to us, we don't have reasoning disputing his in instruction. We don't have a hard time understanding what God is saying because we speak his language, we understand his definitions. God doesn't have to stop and define everything because we already have his definitions, right? And so that's what we, we've been looking at. And I, we're going to kind of flow along those same lines tonight as we look at uh, the ground of the heart. And this is, is we're going to look at three links in the chain. And I'm going to explain this. There are three links in the chain of defeat. Wrong thinking, wrong speaking, and wrong believing. And there are three links in the chain of success. Right thinking, right speaking, and right believing. And so when we understand the part that these all play interconnected, it helps us to identify our daily responsibility to guard the heart and guard the mind with the peace of God, to, to police the thoughts that are coming to us and identify thoughts that do not have permission to operate in our lives and to take authority over those thoughts and to bring them into subjection to and the obedience to Christ. So the ground of the heart is where I want to start. Mark chapter 4. And this is why, because this works the ground of the heart is going to work for whatever seed we put in it good seed or bad seed mark 4 let's start in verse 26 and, and he said so is the kingdom of god as if a man should cast seed into the ground cast seed into the ground now can we just how many of you have ever read this chapter before Mark chapter 4, we know this is the chapter that has the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is a, a 
a standard by which we can understand the other teachings of Jesus. He said, if you don't understand this, how will you understand anything else that I've said? So the, what we have gained from the parable of the sower already identified to us what the seed was and what the soil was. The seed is the word of God and the soil is the heart. So when we get to verse 26, let's keep that in mind because he hasn't switched over to talking about natural agriculture. He's still talking about the word going into the heart. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should put the word into his heart. The seed into the ground, the word into his heart and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. He puts the word in his heart, and, and when it says sleep and rise, day and night, it's talking about he's going on with his daily routines of life, going through his life, but he's putting the word, the seed of the word into his heart, and it begins to spring up and grow. It begins to produce in his life and he can't explain how this word is growing in his heart. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself. The heart brings forth a harvest of the word. The heart brings forth a harvest of the word. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. This is a standard concept that applies to other areas it applies to how finances come to a fruition and when we're sowing finances but the emphasis of this teaching is about the word in the heart the word in the heart this is what happens the earth the heart will bring forth what is sown into the heart good or bad and sometimes it's the negative at work because people are sowing the bad and they don't know until they get up and have a harvest of worry and say, how did I get to this place of so worry? It's what you've been watching. It's what you've been listening to. It's what you, you sowed it, not you, them. They sowed it into their heart and it will bring forth. That's why we can't play with things that are un, that we don't want to harvest of. I don't have to know all the details of what's going on out there when I have enough of the details of what's going on in here. I have enough details of what the Holy Spirit is revealing to me. I don't need to fill my mind and my heart with a lot of information that is going to produce a harvest I don't want. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The ground of the heart is the production center of your life. What you have in your life comes from your heart, good or bad. If you don't like what you have, go change what you've been sowing into your heart. So Proverbs 4 says it this way, attend... To my words, verse 20, attend to my words. What does he give us? The, the emphatic 
Instruction. Attend. Give your attention. So what should have my attention? The word. Attend to my word. And then in case you don't know what God means by attention, he outlines it for you. I want it in your ear. Incline your ear unto my sayings. That's purposeful. That doesn't just happen. You have to assign time in your day to incline your ear to his word. You know, I've conditioned my life to have the word going all the time. And we live in a time, listen, we had, back in the day, you hear Brother Copeland and Brother Savelle talking about they had to carry those big reel-to-reel uh, -reel players with the big batteries and carry sacks of batteries just to keep the word going. We've got it on our phone. We've got it on our tablets. We've got YouTube full of uh, the word. We've got uh, podcasts. We've got CDs flash drives, we, we have the opportunity to have the word going in our home all the time. All the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Attend, incline your ear to hear and let it not depart from your eyes. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of the heart. How do I keep it in my heart? I keep it in my ear and I keep it in my eyes. Yeah. I'm giving my attention to it because the heart is the production center and what I have in my life is coming out of my heart. Amen. And so he says, keep, for they are life, these words, keep them in the midst of your heart for because they are life unto all of those that find. Circle that word find. Find. It is a word that is more in, in the Hebrew language than it is in the English language. In the English language, we have the idea, we encounter it. We discover it. Oh, look what I found. But this word in the original language means to find and hold in possession. All right. So you can find something and you might not know where it is today. That's not what this word means. This word means I found it and oh, I've got it right here. I'm still holding on to it. It's still in my possession. I know exactly where it is. I'm holding it. I have it. Well, we know how to hold something by the Spirit. I can't hold 1 Peter 2.24 with these fingers, but I can hold 1 Peter 2.24 with my mouth because the death and life are in the power, and the word power means hand in the original language. So death and life are in the hand of the tongue. So my tongue is the hand of my spirit that holds on to the promises of God. So how do I hold it? it? Once I find it, it says, keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life unto those that hold it in possession. I have it now. I found it and now I have it and I'm holding it in possession. They are life. So they're not life unto people who once had it they knew it, but they are not holding it. It's life to us who hold it in possession. They are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. It is a word that means to guard, 
And it also means to maintain it in an orderly condition. So if the heart has weeds of doubt, fear, unbelief, it is no longer in an orderly condition. It's out of order. It's out of order. So when it says keep your heart, not only is it a protecting keeping of the heart, but a maintaining the condition of what's in my heart. And all we have to do is look at Philippians chapter 4 to understand the importance of keeping our heart. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God. In thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And so we need that. And then he gives us a list. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of a good report, think on, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So there is a discipline to the mind because what I'm thinking about is going to get in my heart. What I'm thinking about is going to get in my mouth. And if I get it in my mouth, I'm getting it in my heart. And so I've got to not only guard in a way of protecting, but I've got to maintain the condition. And when I find worry in my heart, I need to treat it roughly. I need to come at that worry and say, whoa, no, we don't worry in this life, not in this heart. Worry is not conducive to my lifestyle. Amen? And so he says the human spirit, the spirit of man, will produce what is placed in it. That's what's in your heart is supposed to be the word of God because then it will produce the life of God in your, your everyday life. You'll have God available. James chapter 1 and verse 26. James 1 and 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, or we would say spiritual, if any person among you seems to be or appears to be spiritual, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion or his spirituality is in vain. It's empty. Why? Because with the words we, spe- we speak, we can deceive our own heart. If we say the wrong things, we can deceive our own heart. And he says it will... It it might look spiritual. You might look like your life is spiritual. You might carry a Bible. You might have your Bible app on your phone, on your tablet. You You might attend church. But if what's in your heart, because what's in your mouth is where'd it come from? Out of the abundance of the heart. So if with words, if we don't have a bridling of the tongue, we can deceive our own heart. And what it, it takes all the spirituality down to zero. Because the spirituality is based on how much word is operative in my heart. Not in my head. 
Not how much I can quote off the top of my head, but what am I doing? Because the previous verse of this was talking about being a doer of the word. Not just a hearer only, but being a doer of the word. And so we found out that part of being a doer of the word is bridling our own tongue. Bridling, an unbridled tongue deceives the heart. So that means my tongue needs to be disciplined. That's why he, he speaks of putting a bit in the mouth. A bit in the mouth of the horse is disciplining that horse. It's not hurting them per se, but it's directing them. Directing them. And so we've got to put a bit in our mouth, the bit of God's word. We've got to put God's word and we've got to prohibit ourselves from speaking things that are detrimental to our lives. Laugh till I thought I'd die. Tickle me to death. Cost me an arm and a leg. I know that sounds frivolous to a lot of people, but not to us who are trying to operate faith because I need to believe that the words I say come to pass. So I can't say it cost me an arm and a leg. I can't say it tickles me to death. I can't say those things. Why? Because my heart is my production center. And it doesn't know what, it doesn't know that I'm just using slang or it doesn't know that I'm just uh, using a colloquialism. It doesn't know that. It's going to try to produce whatever I put in it. Do you know why uh, the fence post of a fence will rot? Have you ever pulled up a fence post and you see that the bottom of that fence post was already starting to rot if it wasn't something like put in the concrete or something? It's because the ground is trying to make it grow. The ground will make grow whatever seed you put in it. And the, your heart's going to try to produce whatever you're sowing into it. And you're, you're, you're the one who is the main sower into it. Through your mouth, the seed is going into your heart. And so if, what this is telling us here is that there has to be a recognition that the words that I speak have emphasis not just in things out here, but it is... Uh, it is sowing into my heart either the good that I'm speaking or the negative things I might say. So when it says uh, uh, deceives the heart, an unbridled tongue, um, a person who does not bridle his tongue deceives his own heart, then I've got to take responsibility and bridle my tongue. I found myself, uh, and I'll, I'll just give a couple of different examples. There was a, a certain time in my life that one of my children was very inquisitive and came to me and was saying, why, Mommy, why? Why is the sky blue? I mean, it was ongoing. It was all day, and I was homeschooling at the time, so I had all the kids at home, and it was just like, I need some adult conversation. And this child is always, why, why, why? And, and I found myself saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why the sky is blue. I don't know. And it was all, it was one day I could just, 
it was like the Lord started hitting the replay button of how many times that day I had said, I don't know. And I understood at that moment why, why I was having confusion in certain areas of my life. Because I was saying multiple times a day, I don't know. And so the Lord directed me to find a different response for my child. And sometimes it would be, let's find out. Let's ask somebody or, you know, whatever the different, tried to really give an answer that did not put me at a deficit. Another thing that a few years back the Lord began to change in my vocabulary when he dealt with me to emphasize joy in my life and to practice joy, uh, I would bump into somebody and I would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I found myself realizing how often I would say, I'm sorry. And the Lord directed me to no longer say, I'm sorry, to say, forgive me or excuse me, but I'm not full of sorrow. So for me to verbalize, I'm sorry, is sowing sorrow into my heart. Now, again, that may seem frivolous to some other people, but I'm working on something. I want my words to be so accurate that I am able, that if, if I don't discipline my tongue, I'm not going to have an accurate working or operation of Mark 11, 23, and 24 in my life. For me to have accuracy in that area, I've got to believe that every word I say comes to pass. I've got to believe that my words are seeds that have power. So I don't want to say I'm full of sorrow. So I began to adjust and say more accurately what I mean to say. Hallelujah. And so uh, this is important for us. Brother Hagen, I, I have just a couple of things I want to share with you. Brother Hagen said, if you think on the wrong thing, you're going to believe the wrong thing. If you believe the wrong thing, you're going to say the wrong thing. He said, if Satan can capture your thought life, he can defeat you. The devil moves through feelings suggestion, and the thinking process. The enemy wants to have access to get you to think a certain way. He's after the thought processes. I noticed this in a certain family member a number of years ago. And this family member liked to listen to talk radio. And it it was a lot of different uh, interviews and, and opinionated discussions about everybody they thought were wrong. And this person, every thought process that operated in his mind was to look at people and judge them wrong and to, and to verbalize his opinion because that's all he listened to all day. I noticed that years ago, Pastor has not watched sports in years just because he got so uh, uh, put out with the lifestyle, a lot of the people that, that he said, I'm not going to watch that. Those people don't honor God. But years ago, years ago, he used to watch Sports Center just to keep up with the different game 
uh, uh, scores and who won and who's playing and different things. And so after the sports center would go off, the show uh, um, around the horn would come on. And, and it would just like be playing in the back. I'm like, those men are opinionated. You know, they're sitting there talking about how, how uh, the quarterback should have run. And I walked in one day, I said, that man has probably not ran 20 yards in years, but he's got a criticism for that quarterback. He's got a criticism for that, that halfback. He's got a criticism, and he hasn't played the game in 25, 30 years, right? But the, the thought process is what I was recognizing. It sells. And if people, if people feed on it, they start to think like it. That's why Facebook doesn't need to have our attention because there's a lot of criticism along with fear and, and, and all those other things, right? It's the thought process that, it, that the enemy is after. He wants to get us thinking wrong because if he gets us thinking wrong, he'll get us speaking wrong and acting wrong. And so we want to guard our thoughts and we want to guard our ears and our eyes because we're really guarding our production center, which is our heart. When Charles Capps began to uh, walk in the Word, he, it, it, it came at a time that he had made a business deal. And, you know, Charles Capps was a Christian. He was attending church. He taught Sunday school in the church. Uh, he, he was very involved, went to church, paid his tithe. And he said he went to the Lord and he put a fleece out before the Lord, which is not a New Testament way to seek God. We are not designed to put out fleeces before God. You and I are equipped with the presence of the Spirit of God, and He desires to lead us by the inward witness. The inward witness is the most accurate way and God's preferred method of communication with the believer because the inward witness cannot be duplicated and it cannot be manipulated. And the enemy, the enemy cannot replicate it with he, he, can, he, can, he can bring something that's like a dream. He can bring something that's like a vision. He can bring even an angelic visitation, but it's not an angel of God. But the enemy cannot bring the inward witness. But the Holy Spirit witnesses to us, and it's accurate, and that's why we must be in a position to recognize and respond to the inward witness. But... At this time, Charles Capps did not have that light and that revelation. And the, the church that he had been brought up in taught, put a fleece before God. And the fleece is referring to when Gideon wanted to make sure that this instruction from God about going against the Midianites was correct. And so he said, Lord, I'm going to put this cotton in this hole 
And if I wake up in the morning and the cotton is dry and the ground around it wet, then I'll know you're telling me. And so he got up in the morning and it was just the way he had requested it to be. And he said, okay, God, just so I can make sure. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do this again. And this time I want the cotton wet and the ground around it dry. And then the next day it was just as he said. So that was his confirmation. But we don't need a fleece. Gideon under the Old Testament was, was able to do that. But we don't do that. Because the enemy can hear that and get in the middle of that and mess it up. And that's what happened to Charles Katz. He put out this fleece before God and he got what he thought was a confirmation. And he went into a business deal that went south and for, for millions of dollars. And he said after that, he turned negative. I'm talking about the thought process. He turned negative and he started saying, because he thought negative, because of how that bad business deal went, he now is thinking negative and speaking negative, and he said, it doesn't matter how I sow, because if I put the seed in the ground, it's going to come a frost, or it'll come rain, and if I sow deep, it's going to happen this way, and if I sow high, it's going to happen this way. And he said, it wasn't that my words were directing how the seed, was, how the storm or the cold would, would come, he said, my words were deceiving me to plant wrong. He said, I had planted, I'd been a farmer all my life. I was good at it until I started speaking negative. Wow. He deceived his heart. And he said, my heart should have known how to plant. But because I was saying, it doesn't matter what I do, it's going to turn out wrong. Doesn't matter how I sow it, it's going to come, it's going to come out wrong. He said, my mouth deceived my heart. And he said, and I sowed wrong every time. And he said, I worked all year long and did not make enough money for his license. You know, what is it, $12 to renew your driver's license? He's living off the money. He's, he's having to go to the money and get loans to pay for things. He said, I did not earn enough that year. Worked all year long and didn't make enough money to pay for the renewal of his driver's license because he thought wrong. And a, a preacher came to his house. He was visiting with him, and he had some books. And Brother Caps asked about one of those books. And he said, here, you can have it. And he gave it to him, and it was Brother Kenneth Hagin's book, Right and Wrong Thinking. I think we have one of those in the bookstore. Right and Wrong Thinking. I try to keep them on hand because it is such a, it's, it's not a big book. It's just a little book. We're, 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 we're dealing with the concepts of it here, but it is such a life-changing book that Bill Winston says it was the book that turned his life around. Charles Capp says it was the book that got him on the track that he, he got on with God. So he said he got that book about right and wrong thinking because that's what Brother Hagin said in the book. If you think on the wrong thing, you're going to believe the wrong thing. If you believe the wrong thing, you're going to say the wrong thing. And if you speak it, you're establishing it. You're establishing its permission to operate that way in your life. And so uh, this is a, an excerpt from, from a testimony from Brother Caps. Uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord said this to him. He said, I would be grateful... He was praying one day. He was praying one day and telling the Lord, it's not working. And he said, Lord, it's not working. 
I, I just want you to know I've been doing what you tell me to do and it's not working. And the Lord said to him, I would be grateful if you stopped telling me what the devil said. You have been praying that I will prosper you and, and um, take the devil, uh, make the devil stay away from you. I'm not the one who's causing your problems. You are under attack from the evil one and I can't do anything about it. You have tied me with the words of your own mouth. And nothing will improve until you change your statements and begin to agree with my word. Agree with my word. God said, I can't do anything about it. You have tied my hands with your negative statements. He said, nothing will improve until you change your statements and begin to agree with my word. You are operating in fear and disbelief. You have established the words of the evil one. With your own mouth, you have released the enemy's ability. By speaking the wrong thing. Well, when we speak the word of God, we're releasing God's ability. God said, if I did something about it, I would have to violate my word and I cannot do that. Brother Cap said, I had received enough of his word at that time that God could speak to me intelligently about my problem. Before that, God had no basis on which to speak to me because I had cast out his word and quoted the enemy. During the following months, he spoke many things to my spirit that totally changed my way of thinking. He said, God said, I'm in your favor and I want to prosper you. But I want you to do it in a way that produces an eternal value in you using your faith and acting on the word. Too many people want God to perform a miracle but they don't want to use their faith and act on the word. And miracles are not God's best for us. God does not want us living miracle to miracle. Just holding out for a miracle. He gave you faith. Praise God for miracles. We'll take them. But I'm not called to live by miracle. I'm called the just shall live by faith. Not by miracles. He is a miracle working God. But he does not want that to be our lifestyle. He wants our lifestyle to be a lifestyle of faith. We live by faith, not miracles. Faith. Faith. We're supposed to be the one performing miracles, not always needing one. If we're using our faith, we won't be needing them all the time. Miracles are are things that have to, to... happen outside of the normal realm of a supernatural occurrence. Faith will cause the will of God to be done and manifested in my life without having to have some extraordinary occurrence. Faith is supernatural and it's working. So he said, I want to prosper you, but I want to do it in a way that's going to produce an eternal value in you, using your faith and acting on the word. The power to bind and loose is not in heaven, it's on the earth. And if you don't do it, it won't be done. If you don't do it, it won't be done. Do you know 
You know what that reminds me of? That's the same thing the Lord said to Brother Hagin about how to write your own ticket with God. You ever see that? You ever read that book, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God? And he said to him, the Lord was explaining about the principles of say it, do it, tell it. Uh, and uh, uh, when he said that, he said, if, if they don't do it, it won't be done. If we don't work the principles... If we don't work the principles, he says the same thing here. If you don't do it, it won't be done. If you don't bind, it won't be done. If you don't loose, it won't be done. If you don't use your words, it won't be done. Then he told me, study and seek in my word the promises that belong to you as a believer. Make a list of these and declare them out loud daily. They will build your spirit. When these truths are established in your spirit, they will become a truth to you. That's Proverbs 4. Attend to my words, incline your ear, keep them in front of your eyes so that they get in your heart and then you hold them in possession. You maintain the condition of your heart. Full. Full. Don't drive around on, don't drive around on fumes, word fumes. And think, well, I know the word and I go to church. Well, that doesn't mean you're full of the word. If it's not coming out of your mouth, you're not full yet. Top off the tank until it starts coming back out of your mouth. You know when the tank is full, even if it doesn't have one of those little mechanisms that'll shut it off, the tank will be full when it starts pouring out of the tank. When it starts coming out of your mouth, you know you're full. If it's not in abundance in your heart, then it's not going to be, there's not going to be faith in your words. Hallelujah. 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 Matthew 15. I still want to understand this connection between if I think the wrong, if the enemy gets the wrong thought process operating in my mind. And and here's one that we've repeated a a few times in this teaching how that the Lord had to deal with Pastor Caldwell about his thought process. He said, I need you to go pay full price for a suit. And he told the Lord, Lord, why would I pay full price for one of those suits when I could go down to the bargain barn and get two double knits for the same price? And the Lord said, if you can't, listen, if you can't, Pay full price for a suit. You can't build a building. And you can't take a city. And I can't use you. So what had to change for him to be able to agree with God? So Matthew 15, let's look at verse 11. Matthew 15, 11. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man but that which come out comes out of the mouth this defiles a man that which comes out of the mouth we're talking about bridling our own tongue we're talking about recognizing what i say gets in my heart verse 18 but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, 
murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy, blasphemies. Those things that proceed out of the mouth. Well, we know that's talking about the heart of someone who is not saved. But is it possible for a believer to get things in their heart and then ends up in their mouth? If I'm feeding on the wrong thing, it will. If I'm watching the wrong thing, y'all know Pastor Marie, and I've told this story before, but it's my example. She tells it too, so I'm not embarrassing her or throwing her under the bus. But when, she, when she's a school teacher, and uh, she went, she was actually uh, in our ministry working as a pastor and my assistant for a number of years, uh, a multiple number of years. And uh, the Lord dealt with her to go back to college and to get her teaching degree, to go back to school, get a teaching degree. And so she went to college. And so we were having lunch one day. I had not seen her much. I had just started coming here and she was in college during the day. So it had been a while since we had had the opportunity to talk. And I think she may have been going on a trip with me. We were visiting and and I, she was talking and she kept making a statement, a phrase that I had never heard her say before. And she said it a few times that day. And it was, that just devastated me. I was devastated. That devastated me. I was devastated. She said it a few times and I finally said, how many times a day do you say that? And she said, say what? I said, devastated. I've never heard you say that before. When did you start saying that? And, and it was like revelation came over her face. She said, all the girls at this school that I attend, she's, all of the people that she's with throughout the day were using that phrase. I was devastated, devastated, devastated. And it got in her mouth. She had been hearing it. And unknowingly, it got in her heart and in her mouth. Well, she quickly got it out of her mouth. She quickly got it out of her mouth and, and changed that. We were having, uh, um, we were visiting one day with Pastor Caldwell. I don't know if he ever realizes he said this, but he was talking about how he does not use the word fantastic. And she said at that time she used that word a lot. She would say, oh, that was fantastic. And he said, fantastic is talking about fantasy. It's not reality. I don't use that word. Do you see those little adjustments that the Holy Spirit will give us to be accurate in our thought processes so that we're accurate in our words, so that we're sowing the right things? In our, we're not being nitpicky for the sake of being religious. We're being, we're being diligent for the sake of being accurate with God. My words are, are, are containers of life and death. I want to speak life to the things I'm supposed to speak life to. And I want to speak death to the things that need to exit my life. <laughs> Amen? And so I want my words to be accurate. So out of the heart, out of the heart, uh, Proverbs 16, 9. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Notice that. A man's heart devises his way. One translation says plans his way. Another translation says plans his course. With the heart, I'm planning my course. With the heart, what I've got in my heart, I don't even always fully recognize 
that the reason I'm making that decision is because my heart is directing me in that. Mm-hmm. But if, if this is God's design that the man's heart devises his way. So we have an example of that in Mark chapter 5. There was a woman with the issue of blood and she heard. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus and her thought process shifts because before that it says that she had tried all of the different doctors, many different doctors, and had grown worse. Nothing better but only grew worse. So her thought process was it's not getting better. It's not getting better. Everything I've tried, it's not working. It's not getting better. Until she hears something that changes her way of thinking. She hears about Jesus. She hears about Jesus. And we know that what was in her heart changed because of what came out of her mouth. Now we we have evidence of what was in her heart. Because her mouth said, now the abundance of the heart speaketh the mouth. Her heart was full of what we see her saying. She said, if I can just touch, I shall be whole. I shall be whole. I shall be, not worse, whole. It's not getting worse. Whole, whole. She's got wholeness in her thought process. She's got thought processes. She's got wholeness in her heart. She's thinking about wholeness, and so she kept saying, and what happened? Not only was she sitting in her house thinking this to herself, speaking this to herself, she devised a course. A man's heart devises his way. So when you're thinking right, and then you begin to believe right, and you begin to speak right, then you're going to take actions in line with God's plan for your life. You're going to start walking out right because the heart, then the heart is in the right condition to devise your course, to plan your course, to set the course for your life when you've got the right things in it. But we have a negative example in the Israelites. Coming out of Egypt, God showed himself mighty time after time after time, exampling to them his power to deliver He brought them out with the mighty hand of deliverance. He opened the Red Sea and destroyed their debtors. He opened the Red Sea and and brought them out and in the process of bringing them out, shut off the attack of the enemy from behind them, brought them into the promised land. He brought water out of a rock. He brought manna flying right up on. I mean, they didn't have to go hunting for the manna. It just flew right up into the camp. I mean, there was supply. Uh, I mean, the, the quail flew right up into the camp. The manna was on the ground. God brought supply after supply after supply after supply. He showed himself protector over them by the, the fire by night and the cloud by day, protecting them. When they complained and broke down that hedge of protection, he established for them the serpent, the bronze serpent on the pole to redeem them from their complaining, to redeem them and to heal them. I mean, venom 
coursing through their veins, but if they would just look on that serpent, I mean, God proved he was capable of being a good God to them. But what did they say? What did they say continually? What was it that, what was their thought process continually? Uh, how many times did they say, oh, if we could have just died in, the, in, in Egypt? Why, why did God bring us out here to die? That, that's what they said over and over again. God brought us here to die. What was the woman with the issue of blood saying? I shall be whole. I shall be whole. What were the Israelites saying? God brought us out here to die. God brought us out here to die. What did her heart lead her to do? Get up out of her house and press through the crowd to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment and she was made whole. What happened with the Israelites? They got exactly what they said. They got exactly what they said. They died in the wilderness. All of them that said, God brought us out here to die. We're going to die in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. And it wasn't God. God didn't. God's plan was not for them to die in the wilderness. But he said, as you have spoken in my ears, that's what you'll have. Why? Because it's a law. The unbridled tongue. The unbridled tongue deceived their heart. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So go back to Proverbs 4. We were there looking at Proverbs 4. We looked at what we normally look at in verse 20. Attend to my words. Climb your ear. Don't let them depart 21 from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Their life to those that find them. Health to all their flesh. Keep, guard, maintain the orderly condition of your heart with all diligence. For out of your heart, your heart is the production center, out of your heart, it's going to devise your way. The man's heart devises his way, his plans his course. Out of your heart are the issues of life. What's the very next verse? Oh, now we know one of the dangers to the heart. Put away from you a froward mouth. Froward. We're not talking about cussing. Of course we're not going to cuss. We're talking about words that mean things we don't want. Don't use twisted words. Don't use your words inaccurately. Don't use your words to say things you don't want to come to pass in your life. Put away from you a froward mouth and perverse lips. Twisted talk. Twisted talk. Hallelujah. Why? Because it, divi- it is deceiving the heart. The Amplified says, put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. False speech. False speech. Dishonest speech. Willful and contrary talk. Put it far from you because there are no there are no words that aren't important there are no unimportant words
the words that I say are setting a course. James chapter 3, I'm almost done. James chapter 3, let's look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. I want to look specifically at this phrase, sets on fire the course of nature. Sets on fire the course of nature. My center column reference says the wheel. It, in the original language, it means circuit of physical effects, a chain of events. It sets on fire a chain of events. Now, this verse is talking about uh, the, the untamed tongue. But we found out we can put a bridle and tame our tongue. That so we've got to take, not only do we have to renew our mind so that our mind is governed by the word so that we're not allowing thoughts that are contrary to God's truth, but we are casting down imaginations. We're taking thoughts captive. Not only do we need to police this in our thoughts, but we also need to be bridled in the words that we speak because the words that we speak are going into our heart and they are producing. They are producing. Good or bad. So I want to choose. So when we see here that it, this verse 6 is talking about the untamed tongue. But, but overall we see that the tongue can set a chain of events. A chain of events. Hallelujah. When you... How many of you have a fireplace or you've ever started a fire, maybe at a campfire. When you first start that fire, you have to use a match. You get some kindling around that wood and you light that match. That big piece of wood doesn't start in a full flame automatically. It takes that kindling to get the wood to burn. But none of us ever stand around that big bonfire warming our hands, melting our marshmallows for our s'mores, and we say, Woo! Look at that kindling. We don't, we're not impressed with the kindling. We're impressed with the fire that it started. We're not, we don't even remember the kindling. We don't even refer back in our thinking to what kindling started this fire. We're just impressed with the fire. Right? The words that we speak are the kindling. And there are going to be people that walk up and look at your life and say, Whoa, look what's happening in your life. Look what God has done for you. And they don't know the kindling that went into that fire that they see. They don't know the, the scriptures that you quoted and stood on and fed into your heart and guarded in your heart and maintained that lot living that living word in your heart to start that fire hallelujah it sets the chain of events 
Hallelujah. Nobody's going to remember the kindling except the person who built the fire. And we've got to see every word that we speak as kindling to things that we're building. Proverbs 13, 2 says, A man will eat good by the fruit of his mouth. We'll eat good by the fruit of our mouth. Hallelujah. That's what we want. We want to choose the words that we want to eat the fruit of. If you don't want the fruit of sorrow, don't say, I'm sorry. You can apologize. You can ask for forgiveness without having to enforce sorrow in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's, here's, uh, here's a, a panoramic picture of why this can be so important. Brother Hagen went to pray for somebody who was in a coma. And the Lord said to him, spiritual law has been set in motion that cannot be changed at this time. He went to pray for that man, but God said, there's nothing that you can do. You can't pray. And, and he, at the funeral, found out that that man had said he would die at the age of, I don't know, 49 or something like that, 50 years old, I'll be dead by the time I'm 50, and that he had said that since he was a teenager. And so there were, weren't any prayers of faith that could override what this man had established, the, the kindling he had established in his life. And it was like he was 49 and a half when this physical thing started that ended up taking his life. But he had kindled that result. When somebody asked Brother Hagen, said, Brother Hagen, there's been times I've went to pray for people in the hospital who were in a coma. What is the, you know, what is the best way to pray for them? There have been a lot of times that I haven't seen any results. And Brother Hagen said, it depends on what they said. What was some of the last things that they said before they went into the coma? Did they keep the door open to the Lord? Because if their words shut the door for God to be able to work, then none of us can go in and use our faith to override what they established with their words. So we want to keep the door open. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, another testimony, Andrew Womack was in the car on the way to the location where his son had died. His son had died and he said he was experiencing waves of grief and heaviness and despair, but he resisted them. It took him a while. I think it was like an hour's drive from where his son was dead in, in the, was it a morgue? That he was there in the morgue. It, from that, in that time, he said these waves of grief, waves of despair, Waves of heaviness kept coming to me and he said, I had to resist them with praise and worship. He said he began to praise and worship and he said this, whether he is raised up or not, God, I will worship you. But he had to resist those feelings and establish that his worship was, was ongoing. Hallelujah. Why? He's guarding his heart. Do you see? We, we want to guard the heart because if that grief had gotten in his heart, 
the miracle action of God would not have taken place. His, his, he raised his son. God raised his son from the dead through Andrew Womack's prayers. After, and he had been dead an hour. We know that that's how long it took him to get to the hospital. And he's alive today. But do you see how he had to guard his heart so that his heart could be a production center for God, a production center producing life into that situation? The only way God could bring life back into his son's body, the only way God could do that is to have a channel through which his power could flow. And Andrew Womack had to guard against the sorrow and the grief and the despair so that the power of God could flow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so that's why we don't want to allow our hearts to be full of anything except the Word of God. We don't want our hearts to be full of fear. Do you know Jesus in the book of Luke, and I think it's in chapter 24, Luke, uh, he was talking about um, in the last days, and he said, men's hearts will fail them for fear. But... We cannot find any other example where Jesus ever taught about the physical organ of the heart whenever he spoke of the heart. Every time that Jesus ever taught about the heart of man, he was talking about the spirit. So when he says that in the book of Luke, that men's hearts will fail them, I believe he's talking about the spirit. It could have a double reference meaning. It could mean physical hearts will fail. We know that that happens because of fear. But the more, the more destructive thing is for a person's spirit to fail them. For their spirit not to be able to conduct the life and the power of God. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of your heart flows the forces, the issues, the strength of your life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for tracking with me on that one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're receiving, aren't we? We're getting these adjustments to our, to our, our walk so that we can walk in agreement with God. That we're not going to have unbridled mouths and speak things just because grandma said it and great-grandma said it. We're not going to just say things because that's the way that, that our society talks right now. We're not going to use words uh, in a way that is producing fruit that we don't want to eat. We're going to, we're going to speak words that are targeted to the purpose of what we're designed for and what we're doing.